Hello again, friends, and welcome to another edition of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast. I am the great Brian Last, and of course, I am joined by my partner in this show, Mike Mills. Mike, ready for another week of Mid-South Wrestling action? Definitely. We are three weeks into this thing, or this is the third week, I should say, and we are uh, starting to pick up some steam, maybe getting on a little bit of a roll, and I'm ready to ready to do some Mid-South 1981 style. Well, we'll just see about that. I, I will say, for those listening at home, I think much like Mid-South Wrestling itself, this show will start picking up as things begin to happen in the weeks <laughs> and months ahead, because uh, lots of cool things do eventually happen. But it is starting with like a different pace. It's almost like it's still a 1970s TV show. You know, it's 1981, so it still is, you know, it feels a lot like those shows you saw in the late 70s. I mean, hell, look at DiBiase this week and Ernie Ladd last week. They're dressed like it's, you know, the 70s still. And it kind of has that pace. It's not yet at that pace where the entire show is just action. Yeah, that's true. And and as we discussed either last week or the week before, we're going to get to the point where it's really, really picking up, really fast pace, and we're doing some uh, good business, so to say, as in the wrestling terminology would be. So I would have to agree with that. We're in 81, but let's be real. It's got a late 70s, I guess, uh, flavor to it, so to say. Last week's show memorably closed with Paul Orndorff versus the North American champion Ted DiBiase, and time ran out, something that fans of Mid-South Wrestling and later the UWF would become quite accustomed to. Time runs out, and it ran out while Paul Orndorff had the figure four reversed. This was a big deal. Him and Bob Roop were building it up. They had a reversal for Ted DiBiase's figure four, and that's just how time ran out last week. We saw DiBiase, geez, Mike, he must have been in that figure four reversal for... A minute, minute and a half, right? Easily. He he was in that thing for a while. I mean, it even got to the point where you remember, I think it was uh, Ernie Ladd was like, DBS, he's passing out. He's passing out. Oh, no, he's not. He's back up. He, he's not passed out yet. So they 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 put it over well on the TV and he easily a minute and a half. We'll go back and time it, I guess, or someone someone will time it for us and send us a, a message about it. But definitely he was in that hole for a while. And I think we've got some audio, too, from, uh, I guess, Boyd Pierce and Ted addressing it at the top of this episode, don't we? We do. And actually, before we play that, we're going to begin something I think we may do each week here, Mike, because one of the great things about Mid-South is in the opening of the show, they tell you everything you're about to see. So while we do this and we play this audio of Ted and Boyd Pierce, of course, Ted is the color commentator this week with Boyd Pierce. Let's hear the actual introduction to the show so we can hear a little bit about what's coming at us in this hour. And also we'll hear some words from Ted DiBiase about what happened last week. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, and before I tell you about the matches, let me remind you I have just about three weeks left to get those dream match letters into us. Pick out the match that you'd like to see made and send it to the television station in which you're viewing. They'll take them all and forward them on to us. The match that receives the most votes then will be held right here on television. Remember, Dusty Rhodes will be here in that period of time, Andre the Giant, Ted DiBiase, and, of course, the suspension of the Samoan Warriors offensive will be up. Whether they'll be there, you have an opportunity. Any match that you want to see, send it to the television station in which you're viewing. This week, you'll see Mike George in the ring against Bob Roop. The Polish prince, Ed Wyskowski, is here. Also here, the new Louisiana heavyweight title holder, the Junkyard Dog, who defeated the great Kabuki in New Orleans on December the 7th. So a lot of great action coming up. And our guest commentator this week, the North American heavyweight champion, Ted DiBiase. Now, Ted, last week, the weapon that you've used many times successfully here on television, the figure four was turned against you, and 
a lesser conditioned athlete would surely have submitted. You was able to hold on. It took a lot of grit and determination not to submit. And it looks like Paul Arndorf has really been listening and working with Bob Roop on something like the figure four. Well, Reacher, anytime you have a, a hold that's effective as a figure four leg lock and that has been as successful for me as it has been, uh, your opponents are going to be watching you and they're going to try to... Uh, find a counter for the hold and obviously like you said Paul Orndorff and Bob Rupp have put their heads together and they come up with a counter and I'll have to say that last week when we went off there I was in excruciating pain my leg was in severe pain but uh, to give up to the likes of Paul Orndorff I don't think that I'd I'd you know I'd rather him break my leg than, than submit to the man and uh, I'm just gonna have to come up with something right. for tremendous him. spirit tremendous courage right now we have the opening event in the ring let's go to Reese Bowden for the introduction first of all Ted's wearing Ernie Ladd's brown leather jacket from last week. That's the it looks thing. like the exact same. <laughs> I think they're sharing the same jacket. <laughs> it looks exactly like it. Before we talk about all of that with DiBiase and Orndorff, once again, Mike, as we've talked about, here's some audio with Mid-South Wrestling, Boyd Pierce, at the top of the show, plugging this dream match. Sweepstakes? Is that the right word? Where you? I, I guess it's not really a sweepstakes. You're not winning anything other than potentially seeing the match you vote for on TV. Yeah, pretty much. It's a uh, sweepstakes might not be the, the good choice of word there, but yeah, he's plugging the dream match. And, and of course, uh, I guess we got something to look forward to with that. And someone out there is uh, going to believe that they, yeah. How do you think they did that, Brian? You think they actually like, actually, I don't know. I mean, it's a complete work obviously, but uh, no, I was about to say, do you think they actually picked a name and, and was actually a real person, but nah, that wouldn't, that wouldn't work. They just went with what they wanted to put on TV that day. I like how there's no address. It's just, it says on the screen, dream match, this station. <laughs> I think Watts got smart enough to that later when he started putting the Bixby, Oklahoma address on the, on the actual TV. Yeah. Remember, I don't know if he starts that in 82 or 83, but he starts actually giving the address out that you can actually write to. If you notice, every time someone got injured in the World Wrestling Federation, they had like an address like, you know, write a letter, get well, Damien, the snake, or, you know, whoever it was. <laughs> right. And it was always like the WWF headquarters P.O. Box in Stamford because that's what they did every year to build up like their Christmas list so they could send people catalogs. Like, oh, how did the WWF get my address? It's because you wrote a get well note to Coco Beware, dummy. <laughs> Genius way of marketing, right? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, man. Uh, I enjoyed that opening, though, man. T Ted DiBiase threw a line out there that was awesome. I I'm sure you caught it, too. I'd rather him break my leg than submit to the man. Yeah, it's about pride. It's about pride with yeah. DiBiase. And by the way, Boyd Pierce responds to all this, and, and you don't really see this too often. It, it really is the ultimate sympathetic babyface thing. DiBiase says all this, and Boyd puts his hand on Ted's wrist. Almost as if to say, I'm with you. It's okay. I understand, young wrestler Ted DiBiase. You have my condolences, sir. <laughs> you know what's crazy to think about here, Mike? Uh, so here's DiBiase. He's sitting at the table. He's got a collared shirt on with Ernie Ladd's brown leather jacket and, of course, some tape on his forehead because, like every good baby face, he bled plenty that week, I'm sure. And this is 81. This is the end of 81. This is around the time you start hearing those stories that were around in wrestling over... Who was going to be the next NWA champion, Flair or DiBiase? Of course, Flair ended up earlier that year getting the title, but this is right around that period of time where DiBiase was in the mix in terms of finalists for who would be the NWA champion. DiBiase was one of those guys in the real mix at the top of that list. That's always like a something I think of in a what-if scenario. It's like, 
Because I mean, he 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 could have been a a great NWA World Champion. I'm convinced of that. Everything I've seen him do throughout his career. I mean, from mid south on through the WWF, obviously. It's always one of those what ifs that I guess we'll never know, uh, but it's fun to speculate about. But I think I, dude, Ted was a great talker, it, it, just like Flair was. Was he not? Would you agree with that? No, I wouldn't. Well, you know, it, it's hard. I mean, you what, say, would you would you disagree? I should say. Well, I mean, he say, wasn't Ric Flair, but right. When you say I, just like Flair was, very different. And again, one of the main things I would say is Flair had been a heel for a long time, and. DiBiase here, I don't know if he had ever been a heel by this point. So what we just I heard see, I don't, yeah, was DiBiase's babyface promo. I think if you look at DiBiase in '84, you remember in Georgia, and then when he returned to mid, uh, when he returned to Mid South in '84, he attacked Duggan, and he showed up in the ring in a suit, and you know announced yeah. that he had just destroyed Duggan in the parking lot. Memorable show that <laughs> we'll eventually get to. But if you look at DiBiase there and up. I think there's the guy because he's showing that he can do a heel promo. When I say being a heel, I don't mean like right at this moment. I mean, from what we end up seeing with the Rat Pack and beyond, he I mean, he ends up being a really, really good heel. And you asked me one time on a 605, you're like, you know, did you like him better as a babyface or a heel? I will always, even though I know he was a face and, I, and he did one of the, he was involved in one of the best babyface turns I've ever seen in my life in wrestling. I'll always still picture Ted DiBiase as a as a great heel. Uh, not that he wasn't a good babyface, not that he wasn't a great one, but to me, I think of him mid south. Those glory years for me was fantastic heel, just fantastic, and a loaded glove. Yes, that too. <laughs> well, let's get going with this show. Of course, they just talked about the figure four from last week, and we start this week's episode, which of course is from December seventeenth, nineteen eighty one, or as it's listed on the WWE Network for those playing along at home, December nineteenth, nineteen eighty one, and the show begins with. Brian Blair versus a man we were fascinated with last week, the son of the original assassin, or one of the original assassins, Tom Renesto Jr., the man who wins the 1980s Ron Jeremy lookalike contest. It absolutely does. Every, every time I see him, that's what I think of. Although we've got another character later. I mean, this is – Renesto does look like Ron Jeremy, and it's kind of funny when you think back about it. But there's also another character at the end of this – or in this episode that uh, is going to give us a good chuckle too. Good match. I thought this was solid, a solid opening match. You know, they, they these guys don't just grab each other and grab a hold and kick and punch. They're, they're hitting the ropes. They're shoulder tackling. They're arm dragging. I enjoyed this. What about you? I thought it was good. It was a little – Sloppy at times. I mean, it was like a rough suplex, and then Brian Blair tripped. <laughs> I mean, it's just. Well, that's you know? it, <laughs> um, but, you know, it's just a uh, standard match. Blair wins with the figure four. Alfred Neely, the referee. And I said it, I don't know if it was last week or the week before. I'm not crazy about Brian Blair, the undercard babyface. I just, it's not, not for me. What did you think about his jacket? Did you notice the the change in the jacket this week Brian Blair had? It was a little bit flashier. It had uh, some 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 color in it, so to say. Some I don't want to say glitter or sequins, I guess would be the, the thing to put. Uh, definitely a, his jacket was a little bit more colorful this week. So, but like you, I'm I wasn't a Blair fan in Mid-South at this point, obviously. Yeah, no. Um when I think of excitement and bling in the ring, I think of Brian Blair. I uh I'm assuming that he must have met a woman with a bedazzler. And that's what led to his new jacket this week on the show. But, uh, yeah, just not really feeling it. And again, you know, this goes into this overall theme where you're still getting, this is still like kind of like a 1970s show more than like what would it would become in a couple of years. You're getting these undercard matches that really don't have a lot of 
crowd interest. Not that the crowd is disinterested, but they're not really into it. And Tom Renesto versus Brian Blair. This is, let's see, last week's show opened with the Monk versus Brian Blair. Yeah. And Brian Blair was in the tag team match, I think, that went to the curfew or went to uh, the end of the close the week before that. He sure was. Yeah. And who did Renesto Jr. lose to last week? King Cobra. So he's really yes. he's really having a rough time. He lost to King Cobra and Brian Blair on TV. It's on a roll. <laughs> it's on a roll. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, I'm sorry, Tom Ernesto and uh, the Ron Jeremy look alike. I uh, don't know what to tell you at this point. Uh, but, yeah. But you know what? It's about to pick up on the next segment. Is, is it not? <laughs> it certainly is. And <laughs> we kind of talked a little bit about this last week on the show. At the very yes. end. We said Paul Ellering is something else this week on the show. He had been injured. He'd been out for, I believe, upwards of six months with a knee injury. And I believe it is the same injury that would eventually just cause him to stop wrestling. And it's crazy when you look at him here, and then you look at him in 83, and then you look at him in 85, and then you look at him in 87 and 89. Like, every two years, he shrinks completely. (laughs) And his look just completely changes. It's, It's almost like a different guy. I remember when I was a kid, and I first saw footage of Bleach Blonde, jacked up precious paul ellering i couldn't believe it was the same guy unbelievable he looks so different that i remember seeing him then obviously a few years later on the saturday night show and thinking to myself is that the same guy i mean because you're like he looks so different i mean you look at him just like you said a few years later you're like wow this guy's the incredible shrinking man here and he's just have a completely different look compared to what he had at this time. Uh, but the look, while he looks crazy right here, I guess, or different, not crazy, what ensues uh, after we see him is uh, of, of legend, I, I should say. Well, it's of something. <laughs> Infamy, maybe. <laughs> Uh, right. I mean, I mean, it's sarcastic when I say of legend there. It's it's a figure of speech. But Ellering had been around a little while. He came out of Minnesota. He had worked in Memphis right after Lawler got hurt. He they made uh, Jimmy Hart made Ellering the king for a period of time, and this is kind of him at his hippy dippy superstar Billy Graham copying best. Although I never heard Billy Graham exactly do a promo like this. We're gonna play it here in a second. Two things <laughs> I have to note, Mike. One yes. is, and, and I think you're going to be with me here, I have to encourage the listeners to check this out on the WWE Network because words, there are no words that could do justice to the reactions of Reeser Bowden, this straight edge newscaster booth announcer guy standing there holding the mic next to Paul Ellering while he's doing this little rap, and he just looks so bemused, just like, this guy's this guy's ridiculous. Like he's just looking at him, and there's a few reactions where he's like, "Isn't that right, racer?" And he's just like, "Oh yes." You know, it's just you got to hear those little reactions. And then the other thing, racer's like Groucho Marx here. He's like Groucho Marx without the biting humor. In terms of just like watching the way he's looking at the guy, you almost wish you could read his mind as to what he's thinking in these moments. <laughs> It's so ridiculous. And Reeser, the part about this that I keep stressing to people, and I know I've said this before, is this is the dude who had no personality out there. It's like, and now it's time for the uh, the, the the little girls. And, the, or the, <laughs> now, and, not, and now the little girls and the big boys. 
Right. <laughs> just so matter of fact, just he's got the personality of a, of, of, of paint drying on a wall. <laughs> but right here, he's he's amused by Ellering during his promo. It's so ridiculous. It's it's unreal. You have to watch it. You definitely have to watch it. The audio alone is good, but you, I would recommend definitely watching it. Reese Bounds, a man who goes home every night and his wife says, how was your day? And he says, my day was fine. Every day. Forever. <laughs> That's Reese Bound. <laughs> the other thing I want people to pay attention to, because I heard it in this and I've been laughing about it in my head ever since I first rewatched this episode, Mike. And that is a term people will hear shortly, lovely lady. And it cracked yeah. me up, and he just keeps saying it. But let's now go to this audio. Precious Paul Ellering being introduced by Reeser Bowden. As you well know, for the past six months, Precious Paul Ellering has been recuperating from a very serious injury. But, Paul, it seems that you're back now and in better shape than ever and raring to go. I can't believe it myself. Precious Paul, the living doll, the master of disaster, the master blaster. From 8 to 80, Precious drives him crazy. And I'm back, Arby. Better and bigger than ever. <laughs> Precious Paul's back. And back to stay, not back to play. Precious Paul's got a lot of lovely ladies out there, and he's got one main squeeze in mind. Precious Paul understands there's a thousand dollars floating out here in the stratosphere. Can you dig it, stratosphere? <laughs> there's a thousand big ones, and I got one big main squeeze in line, and she says, Precious Paul, I like a thousand clamoroos. I know you give it away every day, and I say, lovely lady, lovely lady, it's so great to be great. Precious Paul loves the land of the free and the home of the footlong hot dog. <laughs> Can you dig it, footlong hot dog? Absolutely. <laughs> now, Precious Paul wants to put out a challenge. Can you dig it, a challenge? I want to challenge the Iron Geek. I mean the Iron Sheik. You know, the blender brain. I want to challenge him to his clubs. Can you dig it, clubs? I can, and that's <laughs> been tried before. I know it's been tried before, but this time you're dealing with a man. You know, a lot of men have gone by the wayside. And a lovely lady said to me, Precious Paul, I wouldn't go out with you if you were the last man on earth. I said, but lovely lady, I'm the only man on earth. <laughs> the challenge stands, and Precious Paul will not fail because I back up from no man. And if he's a man... He'll do the same. Well, you, you've heard the challenge, and you can well see that precious Paul Ellering is ready to go. This event is for one fall with a ten-minute time limit. I love it. And in the red corner at 238 pounds from Melrose, Minnesota, there he is, precious Paul Ellering. Okay. <laughs> lovely lady. I said lovely lady. Who the hell talks like that? First of all, he's wearing yellow tie-dye tights, trunks, I guess I should say, with a red, white, and blue, mostly red tank top, a yellow headband, and a blue tie. 
just around his neck for no reason. That's the tie you hear him reference at the end and say, do you like my tie? And Reese is like, I do. <laughs> but lovely lady. Love- First of all, I, if I was a wrestler, I probably would stop using the line, from 8 to 80, I drive them crazy. Let's not brag <laughs> about driving the young children crazy, precious Paul. <laughs> Uh, Tracy Smothers uses that line in Smoky Mountain Wrestling at one point, but uh, the line of the, of the many lines that got me was when he said, "Put long hot dog," and he asked Reese about if he can dig it, and Reese goes, "I can." <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I don't know. This was so ridiculous. This was two and a half minutes of just, "What am I watching?" Oh my goodness, my uh, my 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 wonderful mid south in the eighties, lower eighty one, I should say. Oh man, oh, it took everything in me, Brian, not to laugh during that. Oh, wow. I was struggling. I, I, I was struggling. Lovely lady, I said, lovely lady, lovely lady. Can you dig it? Foot long? I can. <laughs> you know what's crazy? I mean, the match, by the way, is Paul Ellering versus Don Serrano. Right. You would think until you saw the skit later in the show with the Iron Sheik and the Persian clubs, you would think Paul's the heel. He's not coming across like a baby face here. The crowd isn't behind him. They're not cheering him as he throws every single rhyme that he has learned in the six months that he's been off out on the TV. And here's the other. It's funny you made that observation. Here's the other observation, too. When at Mid-South, typically during this era, the person who was closest to the camera in that you know, near corner was generally the heel. That's always where the heels, like we right. were conditioned as kids to, to know the heels were there. And on the opposite corner was always the baby face. So you're right. You're watching that going, okay, so that's the bad. I mean, as a kid, I'm going, he's the bad guy. He's not the good guy. And it happens again. It, it, it's weird. It doesn't happen again, but there's something else that happens later in this hour kind of uh, that will make you question that, too. But I agree. You're you're going nothing he's doing makes him the quote unquote good guy here until we get to the end of the episode. So it, it's very weird. <laughs> it's strange, but it's also bizarre. It just I don't know other words, what other words to use to describe it at this point. It's like, what the heck? And DiBiase, even even when all, they, they get into the match on commentary, DiBiase says, I have to credit Paul, but he's very strange. <laughs> You're not kidding there, Ted. You're no kidding. The land of the free and the home of the footlong hot dog. If you can dig it, Reeser. Yes, I dig can. It. I dig it. Yes. Foot, did you say footlong? <laughs> no clue what the heck all that was about. Meanwhile, that match, Don Serrano seems like the babyface too. He's wrestling yes. like the babyface. Oh yeah, he is. He is. It is. It's very. It's. I guess the way to describe this is awkward. <laughs> awkward, bizarre. I don't know what else to say. Ellering wins with a, you know, a neck breaker, which is, you know, <laughs> wow. Uh, times have changed, obviously, but just again, you're right. It. it Serrano comes across as a baby face. Not that he's getting cheered, but it's just just the whole presentation of this. Ellering definitely comes across as the heel. Yeah, completely. Other than the fact he challenges the Iron Sheik or the Iron Geek. I mean, Sheik. Yeah, because that was like so edgy at that time. Uh, he, he wins with what we would later know as the Rude Awakening. So that's that segment. I don't think there's really too much else to say about. No. Lovely lady. I've been saying that like nonstop since I watched this again. 
<laughs> oh, I say, I said a lovely lady. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stuck on get it foot long. Yeah, I do. Hey, do you like my tie? I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Who said go in the ring and have a back and forth at Reeser? No one. <laughs> no one. Right. That's the part about it. That's so crazy. Here's something else, Brian. We talk a lot or you talk a lot about uh, you have orgasmic Larry Nelson. I've had people dub orgasmic David Crockett uh, on our show. It like Reeser is the complete opposite end of the spectrum of those two. Yes. The he, tranquil. He's, he's anti-orgasmic Reeser <laughs> Bowden. Yeah, Watts is sitting there in the back at the monitor losing his mind. Like, why is he talking to Reeser? It's going to make this longer. Get to the match. Take off your blue tie. And get in there and work with Don Serrano. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, boy. All right. Uh, do we move on now to Junkyard Dog? We certainly do. Uh, so we got Junkyard Dog versus Mike Boyer. And I, I just... I remember you early on in the 605 talking about Mike Boyer and I had forgotten how utterly ridiculous Mike Boyer looked <laughs> until I started rewatching these. And um, I just, I don't know what to say. It's just Mike Boyer has a unique look to himself, almost like a, the long lost son of Frankenstein. I, I don't know how to explain it. Uh, nice hairdo right, right there. <laughs> no, the Brian, hair, the hairdo is the hairdo is ridiculous. No, look, <laughs> Here's the interesting thing. Mike Boyer, who many people may remember as Mike Boyette, man, many people may remember him as one of the California hippies or the California hippie when he wasn't in a tag team. He looks, I mean, no one goes home from a wrestling show and goes, I really like that Mike Boyer. There's something about him that just looks like, he, he kind of, how do I sum it up? He kind of has like the aura of Frankie Williams, but he's not as schlubby looking. But he's still shlubby looking and he's a little taller and he's got the worst haircut and his face ain't that much better. And as crazy as he looks here, remember what he looked like in 87 when he was back at the UWF and they were doing the consecutive losing matches gimmick. And he lost like each and every week. He looked even crazier then than he does here. This dude's a character. That's all I can say. <laughs> he's he's a he's an interesting looking dude. That's the best way to put it. If you if you hopefully you're watching this along with us because this is unreal. When when they when they announce him, I'm just like wow. Like what are the people in the? I, I don't remember this as much as a kid. Like first seeing him, but just watching it back, I'm like oh my. I can only imagine the people in the crowd like. Wow, look at this guy, you know, when he walks out. Um, but did you – here's the thing, too. I wanted to move on to the next thing, uh, Brian. Did you see Reeser Bowden when JYD's music starts playing after he announced Mike Boyer? Did you see Reeser? Someone spiked his drink before they went out yeah. for this taping. He starts dancing. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell's going on? Reeser Bowden, he's doing a back and forth with Paul Ellery, and then he starts dancing to JYD's music got a little beat going i'm like i swear i watched mid-south the whole run and i never remember reaser having this much like charisma and personality <laughs> like in the entire six years seven years that i watched mid-south wrestling reaser about let let me tell you something mark this moment down this is as close to orgasmic as you will ever see reaser bowden get uh, i mean he is literally bouncing off the walls he had to have some Jack and Coke before he went out there this week. Maybe Watts wasn't there. And Reese was just like, 
I'll show them I'm going to go in the ring and I'll do uh, my little dance in the ring this week <laughs> to the Junkyard Dog. Uh, and by the way, we should mention something I mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, of course, JYD on December 7th, 81 in New Orleans, Mike Mills's stomping grounds, defeated the great Kabuki, Gary Hart's great Kabuki, to win the Louisiana State Championship. That's right. He won uh, won the title at the municipal. Good stuff. I'm sure that building was rocking. Um, I have heard, I think I've told you this, never went there for a wrestling event for Mid-South back then, but that building was electric from what everyone I know that used to attend and people I know that who used to perform there. It was a, it was a rocking joint, so to say. That's what I've always heard. Unfortunately, I never got a chance to go there and see any of the shows, especially, of course, during JYD's prime. Uh, you know, the other thing I started thinking about was, you know, sometimes you're like you're in Little League and you, I don't know, you coach Little League, so maybe you understand this. I remember being in Little League and seeing like the third base coach on a team being like, all right, everyone pay attention. This guy could hit. And it was like never a guy who could actually hit. It was always like the guy who couldn't hit. But he's keeping his team ready, you know, keeping everyone on their toes. And I feel like yeah. I wonder if there was uh, I wonder if there was someone in the crowd there. Like an older guy, like someone's like, oh, JYD versus Mike Boyer. JYD's going to kill him. Oh, no, Mike Boyer's good. You have no idea. Just <laughs> He has a chance. Who thought Mike Boyer had a chance? Who? I don't think anybody in Irish McNeil thought that Mike Boyer stood a chance. Maybe the uh, maybe the little league coach that was in the audience did say that. No, no, kid, just watch. You never know. Anything can happen. But yeah, we all know that was a dog and it wasn't happening against Mike Boyer. Not that night. Uh, definitely not that night. This was a pretty quick. I mean, this was a wasn't super quick, but pretty quick match, I guess, for the most part. As JYD squash matches should be. Yes, yes. Uh, JYD, that headbutt he hit Boyer with when Boyer goes flying almost to the floor. I mean, he sold the heck out of it. And you said this a couple of weeks ago. JYD is in phenomenal shape at this time. Phenomenal. He looks fantastic. He's ripped. He's ripped the shreds. Uh, you know, the interesting thing is he almost looks shorter when he's all jacked up. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like he looked taller when he got bigger in weight. Yeah, he did. He Because of the mass, I know what you mean. I mean, you see him, a lot of people, it's crazy how many people, you know, they think of him when he first gets to the WWF. And, you know, obviously he was nowhere near this type of shape he's in here. And he does. He 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 looks larger. And it's, and I don't mean larger as in width. I mean, he does look a little taller. He looks, he looks shorter here with the, as lean as he is. I mean, this is, I mean, this is probably as lean You'll start to see him start to fill out more as we go along, but this is probably as lean as I'll ever remember him. And I'm sure he was leaner before this and in his time, uh, you know, when he was in Tennessee and whatnot. But man, he he is lean here. It's he's in tremendous shape. He looks great, and he looked cool. I mean, that's the other thing. You know, I, I've always talked about the fact that once the WWF got rid of another one bites the dust and changed it with grab them cakes, and I understand why they had to, but. His pops went down. He wasn't getting the reaction he was getting because everyone went nuts for another one bites the dust. Then he got rid of his fro and he just had like a close crop hairdo and he mm -hmm. lost a little of his coolness there. And then the big mistake was remember WrestleMania three, he only had a mustache. He got rid of his ah, beard yes. and it's just, it was such a bad look. Like he took all the things that gave him the charisma on top of the charisma and he got, yeah. rid of I, my, my memories of the dog or the beard, I don't want to call it, you know, high fro, but, you know, a light, a, a small afro. 
that's my memories of JYD, and that's when he was so good coming out with the chain and, and music hits, and it was electric when another one bites the dust hit. I just hard to explain to people who didn't witness it, man. It was incredible. I mean, they'll show some high, they they do have some house show stuff on on some of these uh ones on the network and whatnot, and it's incredible just seeing the the response this man got. It's unreal, and. I agree when that, that JYD with just a mustache. I know we're getting off track here, but yeah, no, that doesn't work for me. That's not JYD. That's not, that's not the thump. I know. No. And you mentioned the thump and that's how he wins the match. He defeats Mike Boyer with the thump, his famous finishing maneuver. And there we go. And you know, he beat the Kabuki for the Louisiana state title. This is three weeks now. Kabuki hasn't been on the show. So it says a lot about the Louisiana title. It's kind of like a house show title. The Mississippi and Louisiana titles, even though sometimes you see them on TV and they're mentioned on TV, it's mostly a house show title to me. Yeah, I agree. There's not they, they don't do a, a whole lot with them in at this point in time on well, I say at this point in time, just in general on the TV. I agree. And if you think about it, it's probably you're running all those house shows, you know, Every day of the week, it, it, it's good to have those titles for that. I mean, it, it serves a purpose, right? I guess so. I, I think it does. I think it does. But there's nothing else to say about that match. Let's move on to this next one, which, again, on the face of it, is a heel versus heel match, Mike. And right. it's Paul Orndorff, who has OP on his tights instead of PO this week, and Bob Orton Jr. versus The Monk and Carlos Zapata. Yeah, and this was what I was referencing earlier when we were talking about where Ellering was standing before his match. Same thing. You got Paul Orndorff and Bob Orton Jr., which you would expect. They're they're the heel, so they're in the near corner. But on the opposite end, you got the Monk, who either last week or week before was in the heel side. And then you got Carlos Zapata as well. Very, I mean, they're technically supposed to be baby faces but obviously they're they're not as you get into this match and even the way to me and i want to get your opinion on this even the way the match was structured with zapata finally making a hot tag to the monk as we get into it they're they're positioned as baby faces in this match when they're really not it's it's a very very strange dynamic i'm I'm sure you caught that as well maybe the only time in wrestling history that anyone could say that a hot tag was made to the monk probably so uh yeah i would agree there i remember when i was in the business one time i actually got a hot tag it was on tv i swear it really happened (laughs) Um, they win uh orton and orndorff win via the figure four second one of the hour second one of the hour uh brian blair i mean that's another interesting thing when in an era when guys protect their finishing maneuvers the North American champion, Ted DiBiase, uses the figure four. Brian Blair on the undercard is also using the figure four, and it makes a little more sense. The heel opponent of DiBiase is now using the figure four, but that plays into the whole storyline. I'm not sure why Brian Blair is using the figure four as well. I had that exact note. I'm glad you said that because I wrote that down. I'm like, this is weird. He's doing the figure four on the first match on the, on the TV tape. And if you think about that, the very first match, he's defeating Tom Ernesto Jr. with a figure four. Uh, I understand Orndorff using it, you know, to put the monk away, but just very strange to see Brian Blair do it in the first match. So weird thing there. You caught the same thing I caught, but uh, yeah, that match was what it was, you know, eh. I don't know. It, was, it wasn't. It wasn't horrible, but it was what it was. So, but then, then I, uh, Brian, we move on to uh, Bob Roop and Mike George as well. Which Mike George, 
You and I talked about this a little bit pre-show. Uh, half of the Mid-South Tag Team Champions, Mike George. So uh, I think you – did you have a date on that? We were talking about it. It was a few months before. I don't know if we've mentioned that before on air. That, that that him and the dog won those titles, I should say. Him and the dog won the title from the Samoans, who, of course, are suspended as this television show is airing. And they won the titles on October 15th, 1981 in Jackson, Mississippi. Jackson, Mississippi. There you go. I think that was a pretty normal town that they would hit all the time on the road. So uh, I thought, let me ask this about this match and get your thoughts as well. I thought this was a this was an old school match. Bob Roop is doing things like the eye rake on a steel cable. You know, you never you never see that anymore. And then uh, Mike George selling his shoulder after it had been injured in the match. And I uh, I'm not going to sit there and tell you it was a five star match, but I was mildly entertained by this. Uh, what about you? Mildly entertained, I guess is a good way of putting it. It was all right. It was all right. I'm I'm going to admit. I think I mentioned this last week. I spent most of the match just wondering why did Bob Roop pick this as his outfit. Like, what happened when they were like, all right, you've been trained. You're going to be a wrestler now. Eddie Graham loves you. You have all the potential. You're going to go far. What are you going to wear? I'll take that red, white, and blue singlet that barely fits. That's what I want to wear. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head earlier in the show. You're like, it's 81, but for all, you know, intents and purposes, it's 78 still. And I'm guessing that outfit worked just four or five years earlier. I don't know. Uh, You're more of a historian than I am. I'm going to lean towards that being what may have happened there. Maybe. With that outfit. Maybe. I don't know. What was Roop wearing before? What was Roop wearing? See, you you might know. You probably know this. I don't know. What was he wearing, you know, four or five years before that? Is he is he wearing something similar or is he wearing the same? And I say something similar. Maybe not the same color scheme, yeah, but the same cut I'm not singlet. Exa- I'm not exactly sure off the top of my head, but, I mean, here he looks like a bicentennial bowling ball. Let me tell you, you talk about that high knee. Yeah. That high knee, Brian, he freaking nailed Mike George. He did. I mean, it was like it was like George sold it like he'd been shot with a 12 gauge at point blank range. It was brutal. So I, I that was good. That was a nice little, uh, you know, old school, I guess old school finish. Bam, nails him and and watch his territory. You hit people hard and you fall hard, and there you go. So uh, I didn't have anything else from that one though. Yeah, maybe maybe Watts was there. The fact that he sold that finish so well. <laughs> Yes, but maybe so. I would have to agree. <laughs> uh, the next match on the show is another, another world beater. Ed yeah. Wiskowski versus Mike Bond. I'll just save everyone the suspense. Ed Wiskowski wins with a side backbreaker. Yeah, it was very quick and with a backbreaker, yes. And that's all I got to say about that. Again, this, <laughs> this match is, with all due respect to Ed Wiskowski, the Polish prince, Colonel De Beers, this match is brutal in the middle of the show. Not that it's like a terrible match, but it's just in the middle of like the show, Ed Wiskowski versus Mike Bond. That's just, that's an opening match in my eyes. Yeah. You just, there's nothing there to grab. There's nothing there to hold on to with it. It's just, all right, we got Ed Wiskowski versus Mike Bond. Bam. It, it, I mean, (laughs) I don't know what else to say. Uh, And it was quick. Thank God. And, but, but it moves on to something a little more entertaining because I think we're going to have our friend uh, Paul Ellering uh, come back shortly <laughs> right here. That's right. Paul Ellering returns accepting the Iron Sheik's famed Persian Club Challenge. The Iron Sheik managed by General Skandar Akbar, a longtime mainstay in Mid-South. He was in and out for a while. He was in World Class and Mid-South and World Class and Mid-South. But here's Paul Ellering with his pal Reeser Bowden 
in the ring before the Iron Sheik Frank Monty matchup. And you guys will never guess who wins that. But here's Paul Ellering in the ring before that, accepting the Iron Sheik's Persian Club Challenge. Earlier in this program, you saw an interview with precious Paul Ellering, who is just returning after six months out with an injury. Precious Paul Ellering wishes to accept the challenge that has been issued by General Skandor Akbar and the Iron Sheik pertaining to the Persian clubs. Now, as you recall, the challenge was that the Iron Sheik could do twice as many repetitions with the clubs as any other professional athlete. If he could not double the number of repetitions that any other athlete could do, then he would forfeit $1,000. Precious Paul Ellering thinks that he can do just that. So before we go into this next event, Precious Paul Ellering wishes to accept that challenge. So let's just see if he can indeed do as many repetitions as the Iron Sheik. And he's getting all set, primed for this event. It does Paul Ellering now with a challenge. Remember, whatever he does with the Persian clubs, the Iron Sheik will have to do twice that many are paying $1,000. Boy, I've certainly been looking forward to seeing this all night. I'm looking forward to seeing anybody take on this challenge. Two, three, four, five, six. Repetitions. How about that now? I don't know how many. That means but that a lot if of Iron Sheik cannot do 100, he will forfeit that $1,000. We've got a wrestling match. We're still in the wrestling business, you know, with Frank Money. But we'll do it after we beat Frank Money. And I'll even up the bounty. $2,000 and maybe 200 more repetitions. But first things first, Frank Money. Very well, you heard it. He will accept this challenge after this event. And this. <laughs> First of all, Paul Ellering somehow, I know it's the early 80s, he found the socks, I guess they would give out to the players on the Houston Astros during those years. <laughs> I've never seen socks with those colors before. Uh, the other thing of note, and you have to watch this to see it, Paul Ellering does like a little celebratory jig after he finishes the 50 Persian Club Challenge repetitions he just starts like dancing around with his fists like pumping up and down for a second or two it's pretty funny yeah he's just utterly ridiculous here with this whole thing <laughs> he's just doing the jig and between the promo earlier and now this and then we got Reese Bowden you know counting down uh, or counting up I should say all the way to 50 and uh, this was this was this was uh, this was this was it existed. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna leave it at that. It, it existed. I did like Akbar. You know, we'll do the challenge after 
after he wrestles Frank Monty. We got business to take care of here, and he'll he'll up the bounty, is what Akbar said. I didn't realize we had a bounty on someone's head at this point, but he'll up the bounty. Uh, yeah, so good stuff, I guess. From one thousand dollars to two thousand dollars, which is realistic. Like it's not like fifty thousand dollars if you could do right the Persian clubs in the Irish McNeil Boys Club. Like it's realistic. And, yeah. you know, by the way, my apologies on behalf of myself and Mike to all the listeners who are wondering why we just played audio of Reese Bowden counting from one to 50. Right. Now that I think about it, that may not have been the best idea, <laughs> but Probably. you have to get the feeling of the show. Uh, I, by the way, I love the makeup of the crowd. There's a guy in a cowboy hat. There's a couple of old women in the front row. There are white kids. There are black kids. There are, it's just such like a mixed pot. And I love yeah. that. I really love that. Like, you feel like no matter who you are, you could find a place in that audience to have a good time. We kind of talked about that a few weeks ago, I think, where it's like you you see so many people there. And I think you made the point that you're like, did these people even come here together or they just kind of just, you know, walked in to see the wrestling and sat down wherever they saw an open seat? Because that's the other part. Aside from the there's an old man with a cowboy hat in the front row besides him and maybe the old lady next to him, no one else looks like they're there together. It's just kind of like random, but you're right. You see, you know, African-American kids, white kids. It's it, everybody's just sitting there and they're enjoying wrestling. It's a great thing to see. I, I said that it almost feels like people showed up and were then told by an usher, you sit there, you sit there, you sit there. Yeah, because that. in the front row, there is a little African-American kid. And like sitting next to him on one side is a long-haired white teenager, and on the other side is an old white woman. <laughs> he did not come with either one of them. <laughs> Especially in 1981, right. Where are his parents? <laughs> yeah, where's this kid's parents at? I, I would agree there. Oh, boy. Meanwhile, uh, we're talking about the demographics of the crowd and the uh, Persian Club Challenge. So, uh, Nice discussion here on Mid-South from December the 19th of 1981. Uh, Brian, we, uh, we, we, do go to, we do have a match that occurs after all this. So after, after our buddy Paul Ellering does the 50 lifts with the clubs, and it's the Iron Sheik versus Frank Monty. Did you uh, have a lot here? I had Iron Sheik wins with a suplex. There you go. Me too. Uh, Frank Monty did his best to hold his own, but uh, uh, Sheik wins with a suplex. There you go. And uh, then uh, we go from that to an airing of grievances is what I put in my notes from, from General Skandar Akbar. Uh, did you have something similar? I had something similar. I did want to point out you brought up how Akbar was good on the mic afterwards talking about the bounty. I actually thought the Sheik and Akbar were effective when Ellering almost immediately started getting going with the Persian clubs. You know, they didn't attack him. They didn't do anything. They both look concerned. Like, oh, shit, this guy could really do it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's funny. I didn't mention this in my note, but I did have a note saying I remember I remember this angle as a kid. And I remember thinking, oh, God, when he picks up those clubs, they're going to attack him. You know, like that was the thing that crossed my mind. I was like, those guys are bad. They're they're going to attack him as soon as he's got his back turned. Right. And and they didn't. Uh, also, to go back to what you said at the beginning, or what we both said at the beginning of the episode, here we are. You know, Ellering was basically healing out at the beginning, and now he's the babyface because Akbar and the Sheik are are now out there, and now they have to they have to match him, so to say. It's a that there's that dynamic we were talking about where it's really weird. He's a heel, and now he's a face. Yeah, and the fans finally started really getting behind him as he's doing the fifty. You hear them starting to react when they yes. realize. 
wow, that guy who may be on steroids can do this. Like you can hear them starting to be like, wow, he could really do it. And, you know, you can say a lot about the Sheik. The thing that made the Persian club so interesting with him is that he never had big arms. Like even when he was on steroids, he never had really big arms. So you'd see him and usually his arms looked slighter than anyone who was trying the Persian club challenge. He would do it effortlessly. And then most people would fail, but here's Ellering jacked up and he's doing it just fine. Yeah, I mean, he, you think about Ellering, how he looks here. This is 1981. He's solid. I mean, he's jacked to the gills at this point. And to your point about the Sheik, yeah, Iron Sheik, you're right. I mean, he he got bigger, but he never really – he didn't look like ridiculous, I guess is the words I'm looking for. He always – he just looked like a solid dude. I mean, he, you know, not, not a lot of body fat, but thick and solid. And I mean, just, he's just got that. I think the term I hear people say is he got that old man strength. Maybe he needs to try a foot long hot dog (laughs) or give that hot dog to a lovely lady. Can you dig it? I can. Yes, I dig. (laughs) Has anyone ever said, can you dig it to Reese Bowden before? No, and never again, probably. Has anyone ever said, hey, sir, my man? No. No. I don't know if many people said many things to Reese. Ernie Ladd was famous for, let me tell you something, Reese. Like, maybe Ernie was. I remember that. You know, it's coming up. We'll see that soon. But no one else talked to Reese the way Ellerine is talking to Reese in this episode. It's not happening. I love that Reese's never rattled. And Never. it's not as apparent here as it would be later on, like especially like in 84 when there's so much happening. And he's just calmly standing there in the ring and just <laughs> nothing bothering. He knows he's going to walk out of that ring safely and he's going to sit down and then he's going to get up and do it all again. And no one's going to interfere in his life or his day. <laughs> and then he'll go home and his wife will say, how was your day? And he'll say, it was fine. <laughs> we got to get we got to get uh, Mr. Cornette on when we get to. Uh, you know, later on when they come in and, and get some research stories from him, if there are any, I would love to hear like, like a, a young Jim Cornette's impression of an, of an older Reeser Bowden. Well, you know, you know why they got rid of Reeser Bowden eventually in 84, right? Uh, I know you and Jim told this story on the experience one time and I'm not remembering it, but go ahead. I believe he retired from his position as booth announcer for KTVS. And- okay. Watts was just like happy <laughs> to see him go for, not that he was a bad guy, but if you watch those local promos with Reese Bowden versus the local promos with Jim Ross or Joel Watts or whoever, Reese Bowden took twice as long to say everything. <laughs> he just took his time. <laughs> he was just on a gingerly stroll through time. Yeah. Not getting flustered at all. Except when, uh, what's his name? Not accidentally knocked him off the chair that time. Super destroyer. Super destroyer. When he was cutting his promo. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Oh boy. Hey, Mike, I want to to apologize to all the listeners uh, as we get going. I don't know if anyone can hear it, but it's going to be hard to edit it out. So I should mention it. A thunderstorm has broken out here in the Northeast and it's making a little bit of noise outside between thunder and rain. So if anyone can hear that and it bothers them, I apologize. But this is the land of the free and the home of the footlong hot dog. And every now and then that happens. Uh, I, de- I can dig I it. I dig it. Uh, oh, you like that tie. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, whew, 
Man, this is a good. Well, Brian, we we go from Iron Sheik winning, and don't we have a little bit more audio here from from uh, Akbar as he begins to air out his grievances after the match? We do. Let's listen to this post match audio. As the winner of the wrestling match, the Iron Sheik over Frank Monty. There you see Reeser Bowden and Precious Paul entering in, in the ring now. All right, now we will continue with that Persian club feat. As you heard a few minutes ago, this man has just had a grueling match with an international star. Is this American justice? Is this American fair play? Well, you can ask you, Teddy Gossie, so now what do you think? Suggestion. You think Agbar is stalling you now? You cannot ask this I man. I feel like Agbar may be a little bit, uh, little bit concerned as to whether his man can, After a grueling match can answer the challenge now. Don't get the idea. I'm worried. He looks Don't a little bit worried to me, boy. Don't you dare get the idea that I'm worried. You have to do hundred of them or lose a thousand dollars. Because I know my man can do a multitude more than Precious Paul Ellering. And as I said, $2,000. I don't care. I think he's stalling, boy. Ask him to do it now. Not now. He just had he a. Promised he promised he'd do it. I really had the match out of the way, but. Paul Odering calling for the people. He wants to see him do it. I'm embarrassed. You understand? I'm going to beat myself, but I will say it one more time. He's just had a grueling match. 30 seconds, everybody's waiting, but I, I believe you're right, Ted DiBiase. He's stalling, but I'll tell you something. General Skandar Akbar and you folks at home, knowing Grizzly Smith, the matchmaker that I've known for many years, we tell you like it is. The Iron Sheik will have to answer the challenge and do double the amount that Paul Ellering did next week. If I know Grizzly Smith, he'll have to do it. All their time's gone. Next week, it'll also be Brian Blair against Paul Arnold. Goodbye, everybody, for Boyd Pierce and Ted DiBiase. There we go. There's the end of the show. He doesn't take up the challenge. Ellering's acting ridiculous in the ring. He's just acting like a ridiculous baby face. I mean, no human being acts the way he's acting and like reacts to things and moves around, and it's kind of silly. I, I can't add anything to that. He's he, he's he, he's utterly ridiculous. Not as ridiculous as uh, Brother Midnight, but it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's it's absurd. The, his 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 actions are absurd. I, I did. Let me say this. Akbar here, first off, he says this man just had a grueling match against a, an international star. Uh, you know, I can appreciate Akbar what he's saying here, but let's be real. He didn't have he didn't have a grueling match what any any way, shape or form. But it it leans into the whole heel shtick here where it's like, hey, you know, you know, my man needs to be fresh. You came in here fresh. You didn't have to do it right after a match. Uh, you know, my guy needs the same thing. And I thought it's a it was a good heel tactic for you know from Akbar for his in the point he was trying to make with his guy. You know, he just wrestled. He needs to be fresh. I thought I thought it was good. I, I like the way they did that, and it you know bleeds over into the next week as well. It wasn't really even a heel tactic. It was just like actual sense. Like, wait a minute, it's not fair that he does this. He just wrestled the match, even if it wasn't the, grueling. It was just the, still. yeah. The heel tactic I was I was referencing more than anything is the way he sold the fact that, you know, it was like he just acted like the Sheik went out there, Iron Sheik went out there and did, you know, 45 minutes with Bruiser Brody when in actuality he did less than five against Frank Monty and won rather easily. But he did have a point because this guy just wrestled, so he needs to be fresh. So it, made, it made sense to me there. I liked it, I, I thought. But again, Ellering is it's just utterly ridiculous if you're watching it. It's just like, what are you, what are you doing? 
And like you said, we'll continue this. We'll see where it goes next week. A few notes here, Mike, a few shows that happened right around the time of this television show. Of course, it is on the WWE Network as December 19th, 1981. On December 16th in Jackson, Mississippi, DiBiase defeated Paul Orndorff via disqualification. The Louisiana champion Junkyard Dog defeated Bob Orton Jr. Bob Orton Jr., the Iron Sheik, defeated Jake Roberts. Bob Roop defeated Leroy Brown. Ed Wiskowski over Ricky Ferrara. And Brian Blair defeated Jerry Novak on December 18th in Shreveport. Of course, that's where they tape these shows at the Irish McNeil Boys Club. The Mid-South Tag Team Champions, Junkyard Dog and Mike George, defeated Paul Orndorff and Bob Orton Jr. in a steel cage match. North American champ Ted DiBiase defeated Bob Roop. Dusty Rhodes defeated the Iron Sheik. Ernie Ladd defeated Leroy Brown. Those two were former tag team champions about a year earlier. Ed Wiskowski defeated Jake Roberts. Brian Blair defeated Jerry Novak. And in the opening match, Terry Orndorff had a draw with Frank Monty. December 19th, Alexandria, Louisiana. How far is Shreveport from Alexandria, Mike? Uh, uh, it's probably it's a good hour and a half, hour and 45. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me rethink that. Natchitoches is 45. Yeah, about an hour and a half. About an hour and a half. An hour and a half away from where the show was the previous night. Mid-South Tag Champions, Junkyard Dog and Mike George defeated Paul Orndorff and Bob Orton Jr. The North American champ Ted DiBiase defeated Bob Roop via disqualification. Dusty Rhodes defeated Ernie Ladd via disqualification. The Iron Sheik beat Jake Roberts. Ed Wiskowski over Brian Blair. Terry Orndorff down Don Serrano. And in the opener, Frank Monty beat Ricky Ferreira. And on December 20th in Homa, Louisiana. Now, how far is Homa from Alexandria and Shreveport? Homa's a a long drive because Homa is only an hour from New Orleans. So you're you're talking, especially during that time when you didn't have, I don't think you had Interstate 49 back then, which connects Lafayette to Shreveport and Alexandria and all that. So that would have been a heck of a haul to go. I mean, you're talking probably a good, at least five hours, I would think, especially during that time frame when roads were, as you and Jim were talking about a few weeks back, just non-existent, terrible roads in the territory. So very, very long drive, maybe five, five and a half hours easily. And hence Dusty Rhodes flew back to Florida and he wasn't on this show like he had been on the previous (laughs) ones. But in Homa on December 20th, North American champ Ted DiBiase defeated Bob Root via disqualification. The Louisiana champion Junkyard Dog beat the Iron Sheik. Bob Orton Jr. over Mike George. Ed Wiskowski over Brian Blair. Frank Monty went to a draw with Ricky Ferrara. And Don Serrano defeated Tommy Tate. And those are the shows that took place right around the time of this television show, Mike. Wow. Yeah. And you're talking about, you know, when I answered that first question, you're talking about from Shreveport to Alexandria. I don't think Interstate 49 was, I don't know. I I, I don't know if that highway was there at that time. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there was a highway, obviously, but I don't know if there was that major interstate there yet. So, because I think 49 came along later. I could be wrong, but that would have made that drive even longer. But yeah, man, it's crazy when you think of it. I say all that to say it's crazy when you think the mileage they covered in Mid-South. And I know that's a well-known fact, but when you're from that area and you know the distances driving-wise from Mississippi, through the towns of Mississippi, South Louisiana, up into North Louisiana, it's insane the amount of miles they put on their cars back then to get from town to town. Unreal. You it, That was a grueling schedule just, just to drive alone, not even th- taking a wrestling in consideration. It was a grueling schedule, and that was before Bill Watts 
took over Oklahoma and added that into the Yes. And that's the other part, Brian. Like people don't think about that. When you nowadays Shreveport to Dallas is like 170 miles, 180 miles. So you're you're putting in two and a half hours on a major highway, and that's generally probably your best route to Oklahoma. So I'm sure once they added Oklahoma into it, I think you had said this. They were driving through Dallas to go north and up into Oklahoma. Oh, Jimmy that's said just, that. Actually, Jimmy's the one who said that. Okay, yeah, yeah. So just, I mean, so you're talking about probably back then about a three-hour trek from Shreveport to Dallas and then to go north up into Oklahoma. And I've I've been to some towns up there and worked in towns up there as well. I mean, you're just – that's just gruel. That's ridiculous is what it is once they had Oklahoma. That's unreal. I mean, they covered – I wonder how many cars just, just – like just – ah, I can't do this. I'm dead. Go get a new one. <laughs> I'm done. Oh, that's what Jim that, said. Incredible. Though. Jim said, because I said that, I said it must have really gotten bad when you added Oklahoma. And he said, actually, Oklahoma wasn't as bad just because there was at least interstates. But Louisiana was ridiculous because everything was two lane. Yeah. I just know how those towns are, man. It's unreal. It's a little better now because Lafayette is connected to Shreveport and Alexandria via I-49. But I think when Jimmy was there, I don't think – you may ask him one time, hey, was I-49 you know, connecting Lafayette to, to Alexandria and Shreveport back then? It, I bet you it wasn't because – and that helps out a lot now. I can only imagine back then just the grueling schedule that it would have been. So, oh, boy. But that was some good, uh, good results from those uh, house shows. Yeah, and here we have another episode in the book, so it's time to wrap things up. Before we get going, Mike, I'll say a few things. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. You can follow the 605 Super Podcast on Twitter at 605Pod. And, of course, you can hear the 605 Super Podcast each and every week at 605Pod.com. Also available on iTunes, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, and everywhere you find or steal your favorite audio from. And, of course, for this show, the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review, you can go to MidSouthPod. Dot com if you want to manually download any of the shows as well as access our RSS feed. But other than that, you guys know how it works. This show is everywhere. If you enjoy it, please consider leaving a positive review on iTunes and a five-star rating. It really does help out Mike and myself with this show. But Mike, that's how people can stay in touch with me. How can they stay in touch with you? You can follow me on Twitter at Mike504Saints. You can follow my show at BTT underscore podcast for booking the territory. And like Brian last said, you can find the show. If you just search for booking the territory on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, podcast, addict, tune in radio, we're everywhere that you can uh, get podcasts for free or steal. Or how do you steal something that's free? But anyway, you get the point. And then also, if you just want to listen online, it's tinyurl.com slash BTT pod. Check us out. Our two shows a week, one on the NWA mostly, and then one on Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Same feed, the tinyurl.com slash pod, And uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash bookingtheterritory. I also post the shows there as well. And that's it, man. That's how you find me, and that's how you stay in touch with me. And I, I like Brian, appreciate five-star reviews for this show on the midsouthpod.com. Absolutely. Of course, this show is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Until next week, for Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Lovely lady! No, I can't do that. Tally-ho! Mm-hmm.